Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is sponsored by Royal London, who, as proud sponsors of One Day Cricket, are also the UK's largest mutual life pensions and investment company, providing financial services to millions of people across the country. To find out more, visit www.royallondon.com. Welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. I'm Simon Hughes. The England players are off to Desert Springs in Spain as they prepare for their one-day series against South Africa, which starts next week, and of course the Champions Trophy, which starts on the 1st of June. The tactics going to Spain worked last time. They won the Ashes. You'll hear from assistant coach Paul Farbrace about the ingredients needed to be a modern England one-day player and what they'll be working on in Spain. I'm Simon Mann. Also in this edition, one of England's fielding coaches, Chris Taylor, he's with the Lions these days, discusses how he assesses the performance of each fielder on any given day. There really is no place to hide these days. It's a bit like your exams. You get a mark out of 100. God, it's exam fever at the moment. All our kids are doing exams and head down. It's, It's tough, isn't it? Well, I have to say, we've got some great prizes for you this week as well. Royal London One Day International tickets to be won. Two for the Headingley One Day International on Wednesday the 24th of May, England v South Africa, of course. And two sets of two tickets for the second One Day International down at the Aegeus Bowl on Saturday the 27th of May. That's also England versus South Africa. All you have to do is keep listening because we're going to talk about a familiar cricketing term and it'll all become clear later in the programme. Now, some of you have left reviews of this podcast on iTunes. Please continue to do so. We'd like to know what you think. You can also subscribe to the Analyst Inside Cricket so you'll get the programme automatically each week. You just click on the button where it says subscribe, and we'll be releasing a podcast every Monday night throughout the summer. So it's nearly here, South Africa and the, the Champions Trophy. What are England going to be doing in Spain? What would you get out of something like that, then? Well, I think you get a, a sort of team-building situation to start with, and people will say, well, surely the England team don't need any more building or bonding. But actually, they've all been spread around a bit, haven't they? I and mean, with the three guys in the IPL, Stokes, Wokes and Butler, it'll be time for them to come back and reintegrate with the rest of the team. When they went to the, the last camp in Spain, 
they worked on their fielding and it really made a difference. The slip fielding in particular. I remember actually watching the Ashes in 2015 after they'd been to Spain and the Trevor Bayliss had had immediate impact by spreading the slip fielders a bit wider. They'd, they'd spaced themselves out better and they understood the roles of each other better. And that culminated in... Do you remember that incredible catching performance in Trent Bridge mm. when they sealed the Ashes? The outstanding catch calls, Ben Stokes sort of plucking the ball almost behind him. But they did lots of uh, routines based around slip fielding in that pre-Ashes camp in 2015. So I suppose this time it's going to be more about ground fielding, catching, obviously, the relay fielding, and, and just sort of training together and, and getting to know each other again, having sort of been apart for a few weeks. Well, we'll talk a lot more about fielding later with Chris Taylor. So they're not going to be taking their, their bats and balls. It's, ju- it's just fielding, is it? Which is slightly surprising, but perhaps in Desert Springs, they haven't got grass pitches, so there probably isn't an awful lot of point in, in taking a bat and bowling anyway because you're going to be playing pretty much on artificial. So I think that that's not the reason why they're doing fielding training, but I think when you go to a place like that, fielding is becoming so important. It's, it's, the, it's the area of the game, really, that, I mean, we're going to talk about this sort of after the break, but it's the area of the game which probably has the least amount of attention, and yet it can have the biggest impact. So, And, and the way that fielding has evolved as well, if you just look at the, the impact that the... The, the, the methods in the IPL. I, I think one of the real influences on fielding has been Kieran Pollard because uh, he has created this ability to take the catch over the boundary and then flick it back and w- was able to do it on his own in about 2012. And obviously teams now are working on it, doing it in tandem, in pairs. What What it does, that particular skill getting the ball catching the ball over the rope and then flicking it back inside the boundary to either catch it or at least save six is it actually is making the grounds bigger mm. by especially if you get a tall person on on the boundary well the ground authorities are making them smaller and the players are trying to make them a bit bigger and you've got the space now that they've health and safety is kicked in you you create that sort of 10 meter gap between the fence and the rope so you have got the space to work mm. with and a lot of these players are doing that very effectively managing to you know jump and 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 dive and flick it back over the rope even your dog is quite good at fielding i bet <laughs> she's very good at chasing a ball she's yelping out there in the in the other room um what about what about this this england team then i mean they've they won the one day series against ireland uh, they, they've had a few setbacks and they lost to south africa when they played over there the, the winter before Only last just yeah i mean they should they, they should have won that and series. fielding was the thing that let them yeah, down when adi or rashid catch and but they lost to india as well yeah. the fact that it's in in home conditions it's in england it's in it's in june you think that is i mean a huge advantage for them I think it is a huge advantage, but an even bigger advantage is just the fact that they are playing such good cricket at the moment. They're so confident. Uh, they're really getting into their roles, and that you know they've worked together now since the World Cup. They've kept that squad pretty much intact. That's one of the reasons why poor Johnny Bairstow can't get a, a regular slot in the team because that top six are so much set in stone now. But they know their roles. They trust each other. And that's why I think that they have the best chance of winning this tournament because they're all really, really sure and certain in the positions in the team and how they're supposed to play. There's no blame, obviously, attached to anyone who gets a, 
a big shot and gets out. They're just encouraged to to play their own free way. I know Mo and Ali was was saying that in, in the press the other day as well. All the players have said it's lovely to have that complete license to play without any scapegoats being sought or anything. I just think there's a there's a fantastic feel in this squad, don't you? That mm. that bows very well for for winning matches. I wonder who the biggest threats to them. Uh, South Africa, the world number one team. And also, they have the advantage, I think, in that they will play some competitive one-day internationals in England before the Champions Trophy gets underway. Yeah, which is massive. And, you know, these three games... I mean, they'll all play warm-up games. They'll all play warm-up games, but they'll have the intensity of a one-day international with a big crowd. Definitely. And, and these three games that England are playing against South Africa will tell us a lot about how good England are and, indeed, how good South Africa are in English conditions. So we've got one at uh, Leeds, we've got one in Southampton and then one at Lords very different environments, and that will really test the, the South Africans. I suppose, you know, what England have been working on over the last, I don't know, two years or so since the World Cup is trying to find the right formula of players, trying to find the right makeup of the team, you know, so that players sort of play off each other. You've got guys at the, at the top who are very, very powerful and then guys in the middle who can rebuild an innings or step on the gas and then guys at the end who are, are totally destructive. And so, talking to, to Paul Farbrace, the, the, the assistant coach, the first thing I said to him really was, what is the ideal one-day side and how do you create that? The biggest stat that, um, obviously, we, we use as a bit of a guide is no team outside the top two or three has ever won a world tournament. So, unless you're in the top three, if you turn up at a tournament seventh or eighth, you've probably got very little chance. When we first went to Sri Lanka in 2007... Well, about 2008, three years out from the World Cup in India 2011, we looked at the squad we had, and one of Trevor's things was he didn't want anybody going to the 2011 World Cup who hadn't played a minimum of 30 ODIs because he felt that they would lack experience and it wasn't the time to throw someone in lacking experience. So Angelo Matthews wasn't going to play 30 games from about sort of 2009 onwards, not guaranteed to. So we played him, we started playing him in the 2009-2020 World Cup. Um, and that was like a sort of microwave one-day international for him to try and get him, you know, as much experience as possible, you know, prior to, um, obviously, that, that World Cup in India, which he played a big part in, and the, in Sri Lanka ended up getting to the final. And we, we've looked at, as I'm sure lots of teams have and probably lots of um, people in your position have, looked at the the, the ideal amount of caps. There's, there's, there's also, you know, a huge stat that the most caps tends to be the most successful. Very few teams with minimal caps tends to win ICC tournaments, be it World Cups or Champions Trophies, particularly World Cups. Um, so they're the sorts of things that we, we set ourselves a bit of a goal of being in the top two or three um, come the 2019 World Cup in England. You mean on the rankings, do you? On, on the rankings, yeah. And that, that's obviously quite important. Um, you know, and, and, and we've looked at the stats in, in terms of measuring our... Success. We, we've got a few internal measurements, which is sort of batsman five, six, seven, getting not outs to win games, um, more direct hits on the stumps, and our seamers being able to bowl um, more variations. So that that's something that that was a, that was a stat a year. That was a sort of a goal we had a year ago, coupled with the stats that were being produced by you know all sorts of people showing us. Um, are scoring the most boundaries, scoring the most runs, uh, having the best strike rates, all those sorts of things. 
when you pick your best 11 for the start of a series and then you we tend to stick to the same 11 pretty much for most of that three or five match series because you know once you're in and you've been picked in that first 11 you know we want people to get confidence and, and actually play with confidence and, and we we can't talk about you know play with confidence play without fear play the way you want to play if you play one game you get out and we say oh, okay we're going to change the team now or you have one bad spell, okay, we're going to change the team now. We, we've tended to stick to the same 11 pretty much for the first three or four ODIs. And then if we felt the need to change, we might have made a change, you know, either to freshen something up, maybe bowling-wise. But we, we've tried to stick religiously with the same group of batters. And that's where, you know, I, I understand that's where, you know, the people like a, a Johnny Besto who couldn't count himself particularly unlucky that he hasn't had more games and every time he has played he's done very well but we have stuck pretty much to the same top six where we possibly can because we feel that continuity gives them the confidence generally six seven eight um you know or seven eight nine we're 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 quite well placed in terms of you know having um decent all-rounders you know Wokes has developed into a fantastic all-rounder Marinelli you know, obviously he wouldn't, he'd rather not bat seven, but he's at seven, so you've got a Wokes at eight, and then you've got, I don't know, Rashid at nine, or Plunkett nine, mm. or Willie nine. You know, you know you've got the depth. And I think that also gives the batsmen the confidence to keep playing the way they're playing, knowing full well that there's still plenty of decent players to come behind them. What about bowling? I mean, you mentioned about measuring the number of variations a bowler has. And I suppose the other thing about bowling in one-day cricket is is having a cool head, really. You can't really measure that. But how do you assess bowlers in in the same way, then? Well, you said it yourself. You're looking to see who can cope under pressure, who wants to bowl the final over or the over when it's a bit tough and they've got a partnership going. You know, on some good pitches, you, you know it's going to be quite tough. But have you got the courage... Um, and the nails to bowl in on those flatter pitches, and also it's it's having the ability to bowl at more than one stage of the game. You know, if if you're someone that can only bowl um, at the beginning with a swinging ball, or you can only bowl, you know, in the middle, um, you, you're less likely to get selected. If you're someone who can bowl up front and get a little bit of you know, swing out of the out of the new ball for two or three overs. Great if you can then bowl cutters in the middle. Fantastic, um, and if you can, you know, bowl at the end. If you can develop your yorkers and your slower balls and bowl at the end, and you can bowl in two or th- even three of the different phases of the game, that makes you a far more attractive selection. Would Plunkett with their pace can obviously take wickets in the middle, um, and that's crucial. Taking wickets in the middle now, you know, is a is, is a must because what you don't want is to get to the last 10 overs with teams the only three down because then they can really hurt you and score probably in excess of 115, 120 in those last 10 overs. And that's where Rashid, um, you know, obviously plays a big part for us. Mm. And, and that's why the fact that he spins the ball both ways, um, you know, he's a wicket taker. And we're not bothered about how many runs he goes for. We're bothered about how many wickets he takes. Yeah. You know, four for 80 for him is a great return. If he gets his wickets at 20 in the middle yeah. and he's taken at least four wickets in the middle with his 10 overs, that that's a, we're, we're probably in quite a good position, regardless of how many runs he goes for. You, you must be excited. I mean, I am, from watching this group of players. Oh, very exciting. I mean, it, it's, you know, you, you, there was a period where we were, you know, just letting them go and saying, well, let's see what we can achieve. And when we start to achieve then let's have a look at 
you know, what sort of plans we need to put in place. But we're, you know, we have developed a few plans along the way and we've developed a few ideas of how we're going to play. But ultimately, you know, it, the, the excitement comes from watching these blokes prepare and practice the way that they do. You know, you see Stokes catch that catch on the boundary two days ago in the IPL. You know, he practices and practices and practices that. You know, you watch Butler, you know, hitting Yorkers back over bowler's head for six and four. He practices it. You know, you watch Root play the shots that he plays. He practices that. You know, Roy practices what he does. You know, it's it's exciting to watch players practicing the way that they are practicing and then having the the gumption and the guts and the decision-making skills to, to do those things at the right times in a game. And when you see someone do something like that that you've seen them practice over and over and over again, I mean, that that's for me, that's as exciting as winning a game. It, it's exciting as a coach, but it's also, having seen you in the in the nets with your throwdowns, quite a dangerous place to be with some of these it, guys. Horrendously dangerous. Horrendously dangerous. I mean, it's and it's getting worse because you know the the power um, and the speed that the ball comes back at you. Um, I mean, you know, most of us now are wearing helmets um, for practice and and obviously a box as well. I mean, we've talked about chest pads, we've talked about you know leg protectors, arm protectors. We talked about all sorts um, to see what we can wear and what we can and can't wear. I mean, we've looked at baseball kit and we were carrying a bag of that round with us. Um, but none of us have, uh, have worn it. Um, but it won't be long before we start wearing it because the ball flies back past you and it is dangerous. So that's Paul Farbrace, England's assistant coach. Interesting to hear him say towards the start of that interview about that sort of criteria, 31-day internationals. You've got to have players who play 31-day internationals. And you, and you know, the teams that have the most one-day internationals in their squad, generally speaking, are the teams that that do really well. I mean, you'd sort of think, wouldn't you, that it happens in, in all sorts of competitions, you know, the Olympics or Football World Cup, you know, that su- suddenly a player emerges, a young player emerges, and you have to have him in your team. But it, it's almost as if he's saying that, no, we don't quite have room for that. We need to, we need to have the tried and tested, and we've been working towards that. Yeah, and it's a very interesting point. And how does it differ from test cricket? Well, I think it does, because it's so technical one-day cricket and also there's no room for mistakes you've got those 50 overs and the the coaches can't come out in the middle of the innings and say right let's change the format or the captain can't really do much at all you you know the game just unfolds and before you know it it's got away from you with either bat or ball in a test match you can break every two hours and reassess things and change your strategies and you've got days to consider what, what's going on. And actually, it also, quite often you'll find in, in Test cricket, the great success stories, the people who broke records, did it actually when they were very early. Garfield Sobers, for instance, I think he was in about a fifth Test when he scored mm. his 360. Well, that's, that's my point, isn't it? You, you, so you, it almost mitigates against a, a bolter, you know, someone who just comes through at, at the last moment. It, it, you know, one-day cricket is quite formularised in a way. It's not formulaic, but... You do need to have certain strategies and certain people in certain roles. I mean, I've looked at England's batting strike rates, the top six batsmen, and the way they're lined up, Hales, Roy, Root, Morgan, Stokes, Butler, it makes a lot of sense because Roy and Hales are strong at the top and especially Hales gets going in the 25th over, whereas Roy sort of tends to be strong in the first 10. And then Morgan is someone who can rebuild an innings and he gets quicker as the game goes on. Root is very consistent in his strike rates across the whole 
band of one to 50 overs. He's just got that natural ability to keep the scoreboard going. He's the dynamo of the team. And then you've got the, the turbo thrusters, Stokes and Butler, five and six, whose strike rates in the last 10 overs are something like 150, 160 runs per 100 balls. So, you know, they have got the structure right for those six players. And it's backed up by the stats as well, isn't it? I mean, Roy is... The, in, in the top five scorers in overs 10 to 20 in, in one day international cricket and Morgan is in the top five scorers in 30 to 40 overs yeah and then Butler ridiculously has a strike rate in the last 10 overs of 199 it's mad here I've got a sort of spreadsheet of all these players and their strike rates in different phases of the game and Butler and De Villiers are the standouts really in the, the last couple of... Uh, well, the last ten overs, although you know, Liam Plunkett's yeah, pretty good as well. well. Like, he wouldn't have scored as many runs. You know, Butler has an average of 54 and a strike rate of 199 in those last ten overs. Yeah, when I, was saying, when I was saying about Roy and, and Morgan, I mean in terms of strike rates between... Uh, well, in, yeah. in Roy's case, between 10 and 20, and Morgan between 30 and 40, and Hales is, is very high up between overs 20 and 30. Yeah, and, and they thought that England liked to, to let Hales sort of get in. And then he, he, he sort of steps on the gas, sort of 25 overs, goes berserk and has these sort of surges of hitting. But actually you'll find the first 10 to 15 overs, he tends to be a bit more measured. And Roy's the one who goes after the bowling and hits powerfully down the ground. I've had a very geeky week this week, actually, looking at numbers of appearances for different teams. England, their sort of front line, 11, has 680 one-day internationals. So that's 64 per man, which is decent. But India and South Africa, much more. India, 98 appearances per man, and South Africa, 96 per man. So and what about Australia? Australia, 54, because they've had some changes, and they're, they're in flux at the moment. I'm, they haven't quite settled on So it, does that make think. them fourth favourites, I think it does. I think it does. And, you know, if you look at also the rankings, South Africa are top in the ICC rankings, uh, England are fifth. So that, that sort of, in a way, backs up why... The Farbraces and Morgans are not that keen on making England out as favourites because their performances over the last two years have certainly been better than they were in the past, but still not faultless. Uh, they can still lose matches, especially at critical moments like you know the South Africans and the Indian series where they had chances and, and didn't actually take them. Yeah, I can still see that ball going up to Adi Rashid now. The, the, the Wanderers on that uh, Friday night it was, Chris Morris... Hitting that ball high in the air and dropped it at mid-off. Yeah, and that was a dolly, really, wasn't it? In in sort of modern terms. Yeah. You, you want to be, you want to be catching that ninety-seven times out of a hundred, don't you? Really. So, after the break, we're going to give you a clue, and there was a clue there as well, into how you can win these one-day international tickets for the first game at Leeds and the second game at the Aegeus Bowl, Southampton. And after the break, we're also going to be talking more about fielding. Welcome back to the Analyst Inside Cricket. Now, the chance to win those one-day international tickets. But the first game at Headingley, we've got a pair of tickets for that on the 24th. And the second game at the GS Bowl, we've got two pairs of tickets for that. And you win those tickets by mentioning the word, which I'm going to define now. And the word that I just used before the break was dolly. Do you know what the word means or where it's originated from? I should do, but I don't. It's an Indian term, which means a present or a gift, giving someone a, a, a present on a, on a salver, presenting them with something. 
and that's why it's called Dolly because it's meant to be an easy catch. So what you have to do now, if you want to win these tickets, is write the word Dolly, D-O-L-L-Y, and send it to this email address, theanalystcomp at gmail.com. Theanalystcomp at gmail.com. All you have to do is put the word Dolly, and then we'll pick out a winner from the list of people who's entered. So good luck with that. And those games are next Wednesday and next Saturday, Leeds and Southampton. That's the 24th and the 27th of May. Let's talk a bit more about um, the skills needed in, in one-day cricket. You've got stats for batsmen. What about, what about for bowlers and also for fielders as well? There's uh, lots of stats for bowlers. Who's got the best economy rate? Who's the best at the day? Do England have any players in those, in those uh, top five? Lots of the batsmen we saw in the top five. What I mean, about that, the bowlers? That's obviously a weak point because England don't have any bowlers in the top five since the World Cup in 2015 in any of the categories, either overs 1 to 10, 11 to 20 and so on. So no England bowlers in the top five, does that suggest the batsmen will have to get them out of trouble a bit? I think it does I mean, they're they're emerging though aren't they and in fact uh, Paul Farbrace said he felt Ben Stokes has really developed, even just at the IPL, that his economy rate uh, bowling at the death in the IPL at the start of the tournament was 11 and over and now it's about five or six and over. So he's learnt just from that. Chris Wokes will be another one who's developed. Obviously, England are bringing in Mark Wood, only 13 one-day internationals. So he's an unknown quantity, and he'll be good at the death as well. But he hasn't really kind of played enough yet to, to enter the stats. It doesn't fit into the 30 category, though, does he? It doesn't fit into the 30 category. There'll always be players that, that don't, and there'll be you know, players that people haven't seen before. That well, but, well Wood would have done, wouldn't he? He would have played more, he just hasn't been fit. I mean, yeah. he's, a, he's a sort of 30, well, 30, 40 man, really, or in terms of the number of games he's missed, that they would have liked to have brought him through, but they just haven't been able to. Yeah, I, I, you can't underestimate the value of experience, yeah. though. Just yeah. playing in these situations, these scenarios, whether it's 20 runs to win from two overs or defending 25 off two or you know how to take wickets in the middle of the innings or whatever it is, the more times you do it, especially in this format where almost every ball is vital, the better you become. So do you think Wood actually will, will feel the pressure a bit then in the Champions Trophy because he hasn't bowled that much if he does get selected? I think he's one of those bowlers who just bowls how he feels. He's an instinct bowler. And in a way, that's quite good. And the old kind of X factor, someone who's a bit of a surprise package, is a good thing to have. Someone like Mitchell Stark, actually, you know, he helped Australia win the World Cup two years ago. It was a massive influence. He hadn't played all that much one-day cricket before that, probably 30 games or something. So I don't think there's any problem with having the odd player who hasn't had much experience, but it's good to have a bulk of people who've got... 60, 70 plus caps. So we can assess the bowlers, we can assess the batsmen. What about the fielders? How do you assess how good a fielder is in one day international it's cricket or T20 it's cricket? It's always been a hunch, hasn't it? It's always mm. been, oh, he's a good athlete, he's a good mover, he throws well, off balance, obviously he takes brilliant catches. But it's all those little moments in between the, the dramatic ones, the, the great catches and the, the, the diving stops. It's all those sort of grubbing around at backward point, extra cover, square leg, saving two on the boundary, getting to the ball quickly, getting the ball in, obviously hitting the stumps from shies at at backward point or or mid-on or whatever. It's all those little things, as well as the dramatic moments, that count. And there's no way of measuring that. But 
Chris Taylor, who was with the England side uh, as their fielding coach over the last three or four years and is now working with the Lions and the under-19s, he's developed an app which measures all this stuff and he explained to me how it works. But the app was developed uh, in order just to record what happens in the field from a fielding point of view. Um, and then, obviously, we, we, we can do with that information what we, what we see fit. You just basically record what you see. So it might be the ball goes out to fielding position, how it's picked up, the type of throw that comes back in to kind of a, a diving stop at back a point to a high catch at long on. Basically, every ball is recorded um, throughout the game. This could be 20 over game, a 50 over game, whatever that might be. The design of the application allows us to have kind of uh, in-game reports. So I can tell you as, when a game's going on, you know, who's touching the ball most, who's, um, what the standard of the, the team's ground fielding is, for instance, what's the standard of the, the team's throwing, what's the kind of the runs saved and, and minus column. During the innings or after the, after the game, we can run a, another level of, of analysis um, and we go into a bit more detail. So we look at kind of position-specific kind of information. So what's happening at extra cover, for instance, which, which position... Which position is, is in play more during, during this 50-over game? The ball may have gone down to third man 25 times, but extra covers had to make five diving stops and there's been a chance and they've had to throw at the stumps three times. So that position is far more important to me than, say, the third man position where, it's, where, the, where the players touch the ball a lot more. We've developed something called an impact rating. So it basically gives the fielding team a score. Um, out of 100 and that takes into account every part of the, um, the fielding so the ground fielding, uh, the throwing um, if you've converted your chances or you're dropping catches and it's all been weighted in, in its importance so a ball that's run down to fine leg for instance, the ball picked up and throw in well that's, that's a piece of information that as a fielding coach or, or a fielding analyst would like to know but it doesn't have a huge impact on the game whereas you know, a diving stop at back or point um, which is hit hard that's obviously had a, a greater impact in the game. Um, you know, taking your chances, catches and runouts, they're obviously things that have a, a high impact in the game. So, um, you know, we, we've developed basically a, you know, a, fielding, uh, a fielding score, for want of a better word, a fielding index, um, and that's per team, but that can also be done per player as well. So we can look at, you know, again, take Ben Stokes as an example, what's been his impact in the field today, for instance, um, and then we can compare that to someone like a, I don't know, a, a Rashid maybe, or a, and and you, we can see the differences. The player's score would be out of a hundred, say. Uh, so Stokes would be at 90, 95 percent, or 95 point whatever, uh, and a Rashid would be at 45, for instance. Um, and we're starting to, because of the information we're gathering, we're starting to understand what's, you know, what's a, a uh, you know, a good performance in the field, what's a good performance from a team's point of view, uh, and from an individual we're still kind of using this to, to have a competitive edge. So this, I can't really go into the formula or anything like that. Just you know, watching Stokes in the IPL, is some of the things he's been doing recently, is, uh, it's been particularly exciting. And Stokes is a great example because he, you know, we all know what he's like. Um, everything's 100 miles an hour and, he, and he's 100% committed in everything he does. And that's, that's, he's a great person to work with as a, from a fielding point of view, fielding coach point of view, because you know, he puts everything into it 100% all the time his standards are unbelievably high and he has that very natural ability to drag people along with him so you know if he's doing a drill or he's, you know if he's asked for extra catches you know extra backward point stuff or boundary work he'll drag people along very naturally because um, because people people you know are infected by his enthusiasm and things like that so he's you know he's a 
very easy leader um, from a fielding point of view and as a fielding coach point of view, he's um, a great person to have around. Could it be the case that the best fielding side wins the Champions Trophy? Could fielding be that important? Yeah, well, so that's so that's another. So with all the analysis that we did on the T Twenty World Cup, um, the uh, the great stat that came back from my point of view is that if you outfielded your opposition, so if you're, and that's every bit of fielding. So not just if you took your catches. That was you know if if you're ground fielding. So the index that we use, if you outfielded your opposition, you won seventy percent of the games. And then with the fifty over stuff, the the, the information that we've collected from the winter. Um, through all formats, through Lions stuff, through North v South, through England v Ireland, those, those type of 50 over stuff is coming out at, at about the same, if not slightly higher. So again, if you outfield your opposition, you, you've got a, a substantially better chance of winning, winning that game of cricket. Is there one, you know, one specific skill that, that you like to see perfected or improved on more than any other? You know, one thing that perhaps teams could work on a bit more that would make it even better. Hitting the ground in its loosest term. So that's your diving, sliding, kind of your tumble or your roll or whatever you want to call it. The standards for that are probably the lowest um, across the board. How often do you see someone dive, um, kind of knock the ball on, the, the, the batsman runs through for a single and everyone gives them you know, a round of applause for you almost making the effort to dive. It's the easiest way to create a run out opportunity so you think in a ring ball gets hit into a gap players automatically uh, set off you know if someone runs around and pulls off a diving stop you know how often does that create hesitation between the runners confidence is a massive thing uh, that a lot of that comes from you know someone like if you play other sports really helps so like a stokes or a bearstow these guys have played kind of rugby and things like that where hitting the ground is just second nature so that's Chris Taylor, one of England's fielding coaches with the Lions now. You wouldn't necessarily associate being a good rugby player with being a good fielder, but I suppose there is, there is logic to it. Well, yeah, because you think of rugby players as sort of lumbering, don't you, really? But the modern rugby player, of course, is so mobile and fast. And you look at, say, South Africa, their two gun fielders are Faf du Plessis and A.B. de Villiers. And they both played a lot of rugby, as, as well as other sports, as kids. And just the ability to get low, to get in amongst the bodies and hook the ball out as a flanker or a forward or even a scrum half, I suppose, is, is the key to the game. And then getting rid of the ball quickly as well. So in, in many ways, the diving stop at extra cover, where you parry the ball, you know, get it in your hand, transfer it to the, from left to right and pick it, get up and in one movement knock down the stumps or at least throw the ball to the keeper or whatever, those are key, key skills which you can enhance from playing rugby mm. because it's, it's your core strength, it's your leg strength, it's your ability to, to hit the ground and still have the ball in your hand and then get up and get rid of it. Well, England play football, though, don't they, before their, before their matches? Does, yeah. does Africa, South Africa normally get the rugby ball out, I don't they? They do, and, and it, in rugby uh, is, is so much the, the sort of winter sport for both Australia and South Africa. Australia, obviously, they play different formats. They've got Aussie rules, they've got rugby league and rugby union. But I remember someone saying about Aussie rules, that's one of the best sports for all-round body fitness because it involves kicking, running, throwing, catching, jumping. And that's why, in the past, Aussies and South Africans have often been 
the best fielders. I mean, even think of someone like Kevin Peterson, fantastic athlete, because he played a fair bit of rugby when he was a kid. And I'm sure that that is a, is a massive advantage if you're a mobile kind of character, but you've also got strong leg strength. You can get low, you can get onto the ball quickly, get rid of it quickly then you're going to be invaluable in a team, especially in the ring. Most of it, though, is about what you're born with, isn't it? About your, your natural athleticism. I mean, there, there will always be some fielders who are better than others, whether, they, you know, even if you said to the other fielders, you know, go, go and play lots of rugby. And in, in the end, it comes down to what you're born with. And, and obviously working <laughs> on it. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it shows how incredibly it's changed, hasn't it? You know, I go back to my sort of first experience of county cricket and, you know, almost my first week or two at Lords and uh, the, this team of star Middlesex players, two of whom, John Embry and Phil Edmonds, actually drove from the pavilion to the nursery for nets. It was only 150 yards, but they drove round. And, you know, we had to do these sort of various exercises and fitness work and stuff, not much of it, obviously. And I remember Phil Edmonds saying, is this really necessary? You know, I, I, I'm a very good bowler, you know, I don't need to do these burpees. Yeah. And John Embry saying, you have, if you haven't got any muscles, you can't strain anything. That was his catch line. Nowadays, it, it, it's almost a fielding that is the, the crucial area of the game, especially in one-day cricket. And, you know, listening to someone like Chris Taylor saying that, the team that feels best has got 75% yeah. chance of winning the game. Yeah. I mean, it just shows how important it is, especially in, in one-day cricket. And you, you haven't got anybody as a passenger anymore. You can't afford passengers, can you? You can't afford anybody that they're going to take a, 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 an easy run to or who might miss it at short finally, because where the hell do you put them? Yeah. The ball's going to fly... The ball can fly 360 degrees in one-day cricket now, whereas you could hide people in the past... But nowadays, it could be the, the the man behind the wicket gets more to do than anyone else. OK, we need to name our Royal London Player of the Week. Now, you're always going on about um, bowlers. You know, mm. they suffer in, in one-day cricket. And so yeah. I'm going to promote a bowler this Good. week as our Player of the Week. There have been lots of stunning batting performances. There's nothing against the batsman, but my eye was caught by Chris Little of Gloucestershire, who took two fifers this week to help his team win matches in the Royal London One Day Cup. He's the joint leading wicket-taker. So I nominate as the Player of the Week, Chris Little. Perhaps an unsung hero. He's about 33 years of age now, uh, born in, in Yorkshire, started at Sussex, moved on to uh, Gloucester. Are you happy well, that's, with that? That's a, that's a great one. And, you know, all power to the bowler's elbows or bowling arms. Let's finish with our, our highlight, low light. Uh, I'll start with the low light. I mean, it's an extraordinary, extraordinary moment. Seven balls left in the Test match. Yassir Shah bowling his last ball of the game. Shannon Gabriel on strike. There's a man on a hundred at the other end who would then play out the last over. What does he do? Instead of just blocking the last ball, he has a huge mow and gets bowled. I mean, absolutely extraordinary. A highlight for Pakistan, of course. Yassir Shah, he was off to celebrate like you know, one of those Courtney Walsh runs <laughs> that we used to see in the old days. But, I mean, what an amazing shot. What a brainstorm of a shot from Shannon Gabriel. Anyway, that's my, that's my low light. I chose a West Indian victory last week as, a, as a my highlight. That's got to be a low light this week. Yeah, and of course a highlight for Pakistan because they've won the, a series in West Indies, I think, for the first time ever. So my highlight is celebrating the veterans this week. Paul Collingwood, brilliant 73 not out for Durham to win a, a big run chase against Knotts after Alex Hale had hit one through the, the commentary box window in his 100 and exceeding Collingwood's achievement, Darren Stevens, 41 years old, 147 
from 68 balls, 148 balls. Phenomenal. 14 sixes. He, he all right. He ended on the losing side for Kent. But wow, what an amazing delivery of shots all round the ground. I mean, the, the straight sixes, the, the ones over long on, long off, absolutely phenomenal. And what I loved about it most of all was he hardly ran. He got <laughs> something like 84 in boundaries of his first 100. He just stood there and admired it, and so did the crowd. It's just a shame that Kent weren't able to win. How much running are we going to do before next week's podcast? You tell me, you're ill, aren't you? <laughs> Not very well, but I'll be better next week. And um, we'll be back with more next week, next Monday. And don't forget to enter the competition because you could win those tickets. See you next week. Podcast Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.